Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon. Uh, here's your first question, which I suspect might be a controversial one yeah. uh, among people. My partner and I are expecting a baby boy in about eight weeks' time. Neither of us are religious, but my partner is very keen to have him circumcised on so-called hygiene grounds. I'm not circumcised. I would much prefer him to remain as he is born. This has led to some arguments among us, and I wondered if you might advise on it. Would it be possible to delay a decision on this until he's a little older, I wonder? So I'm not going to get into the circumcision part. When is a good time? That's very much a medical decision. And Mm. I would suggest talking to, you know, a a doctor or whoever would be carrying out the procedure for you to get specific details and all of that about what age is best. Because, and I'm quite sure you've looked online, there is a huge discrepancy between, oh, it's much better when they're newborns. Oh, no, it's much better when they're older. I don't know that. Mm. Um, But, you know, this is a procedure that if not medically advised, and sometimes it is medically advised, but if it's not, then it would fall into the category of an elective procedure. So really think about that in the language. You would be electing to do this. It is something that you would be choosing. And what matters is that you're both making the choice together. So the best advice I could give is sit and talk this through. And when you do share facts, absolutely. I mean, you'll get loads of those but also share your beliefs and also your fears, because what's behind this is the fear. Is this the right thing? Is it not? How will the baby experience it? Should we kick this out the road? We're not on the same page because this is going to be the first, but I would wager certainly not the last parenting decision that you're going to find a difference in opinion on. So actually investing in a solid structure to comfortably have these uncomfortable conversations is actually very important. So just set it up. Look, you believe this and I believe the uh, something else, but let's talk it out together. If you're asking me, how will the baby experience this? I mean, look, newborns do feel pain. OK, yeah, yeah. but pain then will cause this increase in cortisol or stress, distress reaction in a, in a baby, no more than it would in anybody who's mm. in pain. And my best response to you there would be, you know, how you respond to your child in distress is about comfort. It's about reassurance. It's I got you. So it's lots of holding, lots of nurture based comfort, you know, a looser nappy, swaying, singing. If you're breastfeeding, you'll be increasing that while your child is in distress. But you've got the mechanisms to provide that comfort and reassurance. It's going to be done for a newborn in a very physical touch based way. You're not going to say I mean you probably will but your newborn won't be taking in Mm. your words. You're fine this will pass seven days now and you'll be okay after this. Instead you're going to do it. And don't underestimate that. That can provide great Mm. reassurance for your child. You know so if you're thinking are we traumatising the child are we causing a huge amount of distress I'm not going to lie and say the child won't feel pain, but you can provide comfort. And lots of new babies go through this, sometimes for medical reasons, sometimes, as you've said, for religious beliefs, cultural beliefs. And, you know, in terms of everything else about hygiene, the only thing I could say is that hygiene is something you can teach, you can learn. So I I wouldn't base a circumcision decision on hygiene alone. I think this is more than that. Yeah, the... Well, my, uh, uh, stick my oar on this, but this is based on items we've done on the show because mm. the, 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 
it's and I, I would encourage them to research this hygiene uh, because yeah. I, as far as I can ascertain, hygiene isn't a factor anymore. No, that's really been maybe debunked. If, yeah, uh, um, maybe if you're living in the desert three thousand years ago or something, sure. and, and, and even then, who knows? But as you say. Washing is a far more Absolutely. important thing to teach your child. And, uh, and it's something you would be teaching and they can learn, you know, mm. as, as part of your parenting journey. So that alone would not be the basis for this decision. But I think what's important is you sit down together and you have this uncomfortable conversation yes, in yeah. as comfortable a way as possible. Yeah. And yeah, as you say, because it's maybe more about the, their dynamic really rather than. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, sorry, just get shivers up my spine even thinking about it. Uh, right, uh, we have a four, almost five-year-old who is terrified of being left on his own. He has to be able to see uh, one of us all the time. I can't even walk to the boot of the car without him freaking out because he can't see me. He used to be really good. I'm a farmer and sometimes he has to come with me in the jeep to check livestock. It wouldn't be safe for him to get out in the field. So in the past... He would sit happily in the Jeep watching some videos on YouTube Kids for a few minutes until it got back to the Jeep. But now recently he would freak out and get out of the Jeep and run looking for me, uh, which he did while I was collecting a takeaway recently. I could see the Jeep from the shop, so got to him before he went anywhere. uh, But this was beside a busy road, so now I can't bring him anywhere if I might have to get out of the Jeep even for a minute. Any advice? I I suspect this might be following on from the discussion we had last week, Sean, about a similar age child who was afraid of the dark, but also of being in rooms on their own. And this is kind of an extension of that piece, you know, that this is a child who really needs to see you because your disembodied voice, you know, if you're at the boot of the car, isn't enough. Where are you? Where are you all the time? And what I'm wondering is, you know, could you think about possible triggers for this? And might he have seen something? You know, he's looking at YouTube kids. That's not a judgment, by the way. You know, it's the kid's version Mm. he's looking at. But it can be something that seems so innocent and innocuous that just gets into their little heads. And it becomes something, especially if he maybe has seen something he thinks he shouldn't have. So he may not have told you he has seen it. Could there be something like that? Could he have read something, something a bit scary? Did he get a fright? Has anybody in his network, his safety network, you know, including, you know, he's four, almost five. So maybe he's in junior infants now, but that transition from preschool into junior infants, not seeing the the teachers he was used to or the little kids he's used to. Is it around that? Could that be a trigger? Because permanence, you know, knowing that people are forever is still quite fragile when you're young. Mm. And when you make a transition and you leave something like a preschool, and lots of people are going through this at the moment, leaving a preschool setting and moving to a school setting, there is a loss. People your child saw every single day, they no longer see. And it's hard to hold in mind and be held in mind. Did those people just disappear? Could other people disappear? It could be a a people permanence wobble. But I just would love to rule out, did he get a scare looking at something when he was in the car and therefore doesn't want to stay in the car on his own. Also hold in mind, he's still not quite five and many children his age won't like being left alone in the car, just won't like it. You mm. know, I no thanks, I don't want to be on my own. And I might imagine things and somebody's going to take me or somebody's going to look in at me. So lots of acceptance and empathy with that one. I do think if you could ask him to tell you the story of his fear. You know, don't say, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. Don't be silly. Sure, Mm. you know, I'm only here because all we're doing is minimizing or dismissing his fear. And it just tells him, don't be talking about that here. Instead, invite him to tell you the story of the fear and maybe go down the road with him going, 
well, what shape is this fear and what size is it and what color is it and what where does it live in your body? Is it smooth on the edges or is it rough? Is it heavy? Is it light? If it was an animal, what animal would the fear be? And if you could see that animal somewhere, where would it be? What kind of environment? Really get him to talk about the fear so that you can help him make meaning and make sense of it and then talk about parts language going okay so I really understand your fear part and I'm wondering what about your happy part because we all have lots of parts what shape is that and do the same exercise to redirect his focus in that way you could also instead of giving him you know a YouTube thing to look at in the car something that might be more regulating for him emotionally is an activity book or a sticker book you know because just the motion of peeling stickers and sticking them on and moving them around and creating pictures that could be more soothing for him and I just think those smaller separations you know when you sight there you know being at the boot of the car when he's in the car or if he's upstairs or downstairs or in a different room try something like Marco Polo that say I'm going to the back of the car now but I'm going to say Marco every time I do you say Polo back to me and that way you'll know I'm there mm. and I'll know you're here so we'll be thinking about so Marco Polo Marco but the whole way equally you could do jelly ice cream or you could do let's make funny sounds let's see who can make a loud one a quiet one let's growl so that you're trying to get him to be able to your disembodied voice to be enough to hold in mind so he realises I'm okay actually when I don't see you yes. and build on that gradually uh, yeah, it's, it's like, yes, you've often used the phrase the object permanence. Yes. This is still a kind of a fragile thing in the mind of a four or five you know, year old. It really is. And, you know, it's around 12 to 18 months children move from object permanence to people permanence. You know, when you hide the teddy behind your back and they think it's disappeared and then yes. eventually they go, you know, it's not magic. It's just behind your back. <laughs> Jig is up, you know. Yeah. And then they can transfer that, that when I don't see people, they are forever. So they will come back to me and I can do that. But a life event like losing people can actually cause a wobble in that temporarily, you know, and it can just take a lot of acceptance, a lot of empathic reassurance just to help them get through this. Yeah, yeah. But actually, yeah, it actually would be fascinating if you can get them to tell the story of the fear. What, you know, why, if you're not there? It's so interesting to hear. And it will, you know, brace yourself to be surprised. You could go, my God, that actually is scary when you tell it like that. I get it now. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, Aoife says, I always found being left in the car as a child quite anxiety provoking. Mm-hmm. I can remember that feeling of wanting or needing to get out. What I, re- I had forgotten is that once I did get out in the middle of town and go for a wander. Oh, gosh. My mother was terrified. She only told me about the incident last year. Uh, probably a poor mother is totally traumatised by trauma, that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, as we kind of anticipated a lot of comments on uh, circumcision, uh, Paul says, I couldn't believe when I found out that most men in a lot of countries get circumcised, in Germany and France in any case, a lot seem to. What was doubly interesting is that people from those countries thought it was equally strange that I wasn't circumcised. Uh, Carl says it's completely mad to get a procedure like this for any reason other than a medical one. You're choosing to cut off a part of your child's body. Norman says if it's not medically necessary, this is about mutilation. It comes under the heading of child abuse. It's not the parent's decision to make. The child is too young to consent. Uh, Ed goes one step further and says uh, if female genital mutilation is illegal in most civilised country male genital it should be illegal well it's not, it's quite, not quite the same thing uh, in that you, there are medical circumstances when you should get a, a circumcision yes, yeah. uh, whereas uh, FGM is actual mutilation uh, uh, just for I don't know for whatever bizarre set of reasons that people have who do it and uh, it's uh, Chris says it's important for the child to be like the father 
So if the father is circumcised, then do it. If the father is not, then don't do it. I think that's a personal belief. I think there's plenty of father-sons who would be, again, using that medical lens. I think that could be different even among siblings in a family. Yeah. I think it's something though that there'll always be something. It's this is a particular thing but there'll always be something you have very strong and differing views on as parents and it's really important that you just create a space where you can safely articulate those differences and think them out loud together. Now, uh, the next question, I think, may well stray into politics as well. Uh, We'll uh, we'll, uh, read it out after the break. Uh, It's about what colour doll should a little girl have? Back in a couple of minutes. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You're on a fortune is still with us for our parenting uh, slot. A few more comments uh, about some of the things uh, that we've been talking about uh, already. Uh, one texter, Anne, says that please don't underestimate kids' YouTube. My five and six year old were watching one day and I walked in as they watched how many ways you can Yoshi from Mario die. It involved a rope and a noose. You know where I'm going. The videos autoplay. We had to take YouTube off the TV. Uh, James uh, from Drogheda on the subject of being alone for five years of age that child is very intelligent because it's obvious they read the law saying you can't leave children in your own uh, car unattended uh, the, uh, the uh, Oliver says what videos was the child watching on supervising the car well we don't know the per- parent was out but they they, uh, they were probably assuming because it was YouTube's ki- YouTube kids uh, that uh, it was safe enough uh, on the subject of circumcision Jay says unless the foreskin is too tight which is very rare no one should be getting circumcised uh, another texter says circumcision hurts my son needed one as a baby for medical reasons and it was quite traumatic to say the least also what she's saying to the poor uncircumcised husband if she well I, we don't know actually if the partner is a man or a woman uh, from the way it was phrased uh, the poor uncircumcised husband if she wants the son done for hygiene reasons uh, Jerry says men are born with a foreskin it's men's business imagine a modern man or father having a say in how his daughter's body parts are, are looked after well Again, if it was uh, some sort of medical uh, necessity, I I would assume they would uh, have a say. Anyway, next question is this. We are about to buy our 10-month-old daughter her first doll. My husband says that it's important that we buy a black doll for her so she's exposed to diversity as early as possible. But I disagree with him. Not because I'm a racist, but because I believe that the function of a doll is so that the child can see themselves reflected in the toy and develop self-awareness. It has now become quite a heated debate between us and we can't make a decision. What's oh, such yeah. an interesting question. Congratulations, <laughs> Joanna. Here's your chance to ruin a marriage. I know, look at this. Um, okay, so... I'll just tell you what I think, okay, on the matter. And as parents weigh all of this up, I think children from a young age should have a choice of dolls, a choice of toys that reflect the world we live in. Okay, you know, and I think having what I'm going to call a diverse toy box, um, it's really important um, for children to show awareness. You know, children, when you think about it, they show awareness of racial differences from as young as three years old. Okay, so it's not like, oh, she's so young. Well, they should have a whole range of diverse toys. Um, And now a diverse toy box, I just want to emphasize, is about more than just race. And, you know, unfortunately, most of the dolls you're going to see in most of the toy shops, I do think this is improving, but they will still mostly be white dolls. So you have to ask, why is that? And what is that about? And what? how does that reflect the world your daughter is growing up in? Or does it? Mm. And if it doesn't, then yes, as parents, we do have to make decisions about that. It can be harder to source dolls. I do like the Lottie dolls. They have all kinds of diverse 
dolls that are appropriately shaped and everything as well um, for children to play with. I, just to pick up on though what this parent writing in is saying that you know I, I think the purpose is that the child should see themselves reflected in the doll. There is some truth in that as well. This isn't an either or right. and that's what's important. Like children do need I, when you talk about you know they develop self-awareness through their toys we're talking about self-concept. And what that basically means is the statements that we make about ourselves that are based on, you know, images and ideas we have and that we hold in mind about ourselves. This is like me. This is different to me. This is similar to me. This is other than me. And that's how we develop a self-concept. And children do need to see themselves reflected in their dolls and their toys. Certainly, that's true. You know, so I'm, I'm kind of coming down the side of you're both right. <laughs> <Yes. I>? you know? <laughs> but there is truth in that. But it wouldn't be for me that therefore only buy her white dollies because that's how she'll see herself. Mm. She still needs to have that diverse toy selection. And I think that's a key word for me here. I We have to move away as parents from just collections of random toys and actually get more mindful in how we select rather than collect those toys, because then you're actually making those informed choices. You're, you know, weighing up, well, what do we currently have? What, where are the gaps in, our, in my child's toys or books, by the way? You know, branch this out into books and making sure that the books, the characters in your books, the themes in your bo- books are much more inclusive than traditional ones have tended to be. Um, I really think it enables them, you know, if we do this, it enables even very young children to see their own differences and how everybody is different and yet equal. I'm telling you, go out and buy the child two dolls, (laughs) two or three dolls. (laughs) There you go. Um, And make sure that you've toys. So, yes, she does need to see herself reflected, but she also needs to see how she is different and how differences are part of our world and how differences are a positive part of our world and to make that toy box diverse and therefore inclusive. You're you're both actually right here. Yeah. So white doll, black doll, boy doll. Oh, I mean, and it, you will get those. You know, I remember getting a set of baby dolls that were bath friendly, which is important because they're going to take on a lot of water and at least you need the limbs to come off so you can drain out the water or that they're fine with that. And they were, I just remember, I don't remember the shop off the top of my head, but they were cheap and there was a doll of every ethnicity mm. in a row. And those are probably the four most played with dolls in my house even today, years later. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, a lot of people actually texting in saying pretty much the same thing as you, uh, apart from one person saying PC rubbish uh, <laughs> and somebody else saying um, just let the child choose their own doll. Oh, they 10, ten months, months old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if she, no, that's a good point though. If she was an older child, then absolutely. But just be aware of how even our young children, how their play is commercially driven from a very oh, young yeah, age, you yeah. know. So you go, well, that's an interesting choice. Have you seen this option and this yeah. option and the other option as well? Yeah. And but, but I suppose it's, 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 it's a very useful function in the sense that when this little girl is old enough to go to crash or, or, or go to school, it, it would be a rarity now in this country that she's not going to be in a class with kids who are different skin colours. Different abled bodies. Yes. Absolutely. And that's what we want is to really promote inclusivity. That's And it's about saying that, you know, we're all, we might look different, different shaped bodies, coloured bodies, different able bodies, but we're all the same on the inside. It yeah. has to be more than a sound bite we give our children and how they learn is through play. So we have to make sure their play enables that message as well. Yeah. 
When I put uh, my five-year-old daughter down at night time, uh, she insists that I turn the light switch on and off again five times in a row. Mm. I resisted at first, but now it's the only way I can get her to stay in the bed. When I ask her why she gets me to do this, she becomes sullen and doesn't want to speak about it. Is this completely bizarre or is it indicative of something else? It's really interesting. Mm. I just think, you know, when you ask her why and she gets sullen, that was the first thing that jumped out at me here because sometimes when we say why you know even as an adult think how defensive a why can make you yeah you know because inadvertently unintentionally it can sound challenging it can sound like a criticism or that I'm giving out to you and that of course is going to elicit that defense instead I wonder if you asked her the story of the light clicks tell me the story of the light clicks yeah five what would it be like if it was three or two or one you could equally you know I'm wondering how long it's an issue first of all you know this is such a time between September and I always think the Halloween midterm break that kind of six week stretch is a time of massive transition for kids this age yeah so much change so much newness therefore so much resistance and so much simmering fears or uh oh feelings can be underneath that so how long is it an issue and I wonder could you acknowledge it with a boundary you know you say oh I know you really like five clicks but I'm worried I might blow the bulb so I'm not going to be able to do that is there something else I could do to help you feel happy or to mm. that we could do as our special nighttime routine and nighttime routines are actually quite normal think about it you know like some of us will say night night sleep tight half sweet dreams tonight or whatever you know as the mantra that you say as you go out of the room or you say good night like having those little rituals and routines is actually quite normal why hers happens to be five clicks of the light switch is an unknown. That's the piece you want to be curious about. Um, You know, I just because the curiosity for me is, is there a fear behind it? Is there a fatalistic thinking if you don't do it five times, what might happen? Mm. If you do it five times, what do I expect will happen? Is it a superstitious thing? Is it a belief it's lucky versus unlucky? Is it fear or anxiety? I think you have to. I think you have to come at this in a different way. Offer her an alternative and say, you know, I love you from your head to your toes and the tip of your nose and give her little kisses. Do the whole body scanning of starting at the top, a kiss on her hair, forehead, nose, chin, all the way down to her toes. Create a new ritual that is different. But don't say, don't be silly, I'm not doing it. Tell her instead, gosh, I think it might blow the bulb and I don't want that to happen. Let's come up with something else we could do. Mm -hmm. My, but it, it's she's too young, would she be, to, for this to be indicative of anything else? Well, I just, in and of itself, I think, you know, our minds can jump to things of, oh my goodness, does this mean yes, OCD? Yeah. Does yeah. this mean, you know, and in and of itself, you know, there is nothing here for me to go, oh, that's like OCD. First of all, you're doing the clicking, not her. And you're not saying it's transferring to anywhere else. It's just nighttime yeah. that it's being cited. I Again, I'd be curious to deepen the understanding of why this many, why now, why at this time, what might happen if we don't do it, but approach it very much with empathy because there's clearly a reason. Yes, indeed. But as you say, yeah, when you think about it, I mean, parents deliberately set up exactly the same routine to get the kids into bed. Exactly. uh, Because, you know, that kind of works. Yeah. Most of the time. But if this is something new, then it's a change. So When did it change? Why Mm. did it change? And what is the story behind it? Is it a fear based? Is it something about a belief about luck or bad luck or good luck? Where did she see or hear it? And what can you replace it with? Yeah. 
My 12-year-old boy isn't sporty. We've tried a few different activities, but he seems to want to drop out of them quite quickly and none of them stick, unfortunately. Tennis, coding, gymnastics, archery, painting class have all gone by the wayside. How can I get him to commit to a hobby? I mean, you can't get him to commit, just (laughs) to say that, especially at 12. And, you know, while you're saying he's not sporty, you're giving me, like, this boy is lucky. He's been exposed to a lot of things, but they're not all sport. There's stuff in here that he also hasn't clicked with Mm. that is not sport related so this isn't just about you know the sports thing Um, and not all kids are sporty that's the way it is so what does he like to do that is the crux of this issue here because you're setting up lots of on the surface wonderful things lots of nice creative opportunities active opportunities and he's telling you no thanks I don't Mm. want those what does he want instead I you know because I do think There's a fine line here. We have hyper stimulated children. I've met some of the busiest children I've ever met in my life who are literally coming from a day at school and rushing Monday right through Friday from one activity to another, to another, to another. Then with some kind of matches or sports all day Saturday, these kids are exhausted Mm -hmm. because actually having downtime, unstructured free time in which to do nothing is something. That nothing is something. Yes, you yeah, know, it's, absolutely. It's in that kind yeah. of time that they get to assimilate everything, process, make meaning and just to relax and unwind. And that's really, really important because out of that downtime will emerge a desire. What do I like to do? What gives me pleasure? And by 12, I'd really be looking to encourage that. I do think children benefit from having one certainly one extracurricular activity as something outside of school because it just broadens their horizons. It exposes them to kids with shared interests, maybe kids outside of their typical peer group. And there's lots of pro-social benefits for all of that. Maybe you could offer him two or three choices of activities. Now, they have to be things that you are very happy with financially, location, timings. Make sure that these three choices work for you before you put them out there and he picks the one that you really don't want him to. So, you know, because that's, you know, it's going to go for sure. But you offer him two or three, let him choose, but he must choose one and he must stick with it for one term, one season, whatever it is. He must stick with it for the duration of that. And if he doesn't like it after that, he doesn't have to continue it. Mm. But he has to pick something and you don't judge his choice. Um, Make sure you put in there something that is sport, that isn't sport, you know, maybe an art, uh, music, uh, sports or something, you know. I don't know, scouts, something like problem solving, things like that that could be of that. It's to help him find what interests him. Yeah, because this is an exploratory process rather than a desire to keep the child constantly entertained. They have to do a lot of that themselves. Oh, no. And we like as parents, we are not our children's entertainers and we have got to stop trying to be. And it is okay for our children to have time doing nothing. In fact, I would say it's really, really important. I think the lack of boredom at the moment is a crisis for all of us. We need that. Yeah, but when they say I'm bored and you go, yeah. Great. Off you go. I would uh, uh, I would meet uh, that with excitement. Say yeah. super, I can't wait to hear what you come up with. You <laughs> know? <I'm bored. laughs> uh, right, one last quick one. My 11-year-old is obsessed with money. He constantly asks me how much things cost or are worth. When we went on holiday to Portugal, he insisted on knowing how much the hotel room cost, how expensive each meal was. When he was given a menu, he studied the prices. When he sees a beautiful boat or a car, he wonders about its value rather than its beauty. All his friends receive a weekly pocket money and we have resisted doing this because we worry it'll exacerbate the problem any help appreciated my god their child is Jacob Rees-Mogg <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I actually would give him pocket money in this situation mm. and be really clear with him about what it's supposed to cover. You know, we're giving you this money, um, you know, discretionary spending, whatever treats you want. And we think you should save some so you can save towards something big or if there is a birthday party or an event or something coming up because he's interested in money. He's interested in value and cost and worth. And I actually think in giving him his own little amount of money to have some budget fun with in the week might be good for him because I was also interested when he's studying the cost of the menu. Is he picking the most expensive thing on it because he said, well, if it's most expensive, it's best or Mm. just out of interest for look at the price of that. Would you believe that? (laughs) You know, like it really depends on what's behind it. I I also think that um, you know, it'll give him that increased responsibility and he's 11, you know, and I think pocket money can be and it doesn't have to be a lot of money. It really shouldn't be a lot of money. I do think it it's a great way of instilling independence and, you know, for kids working towards something they want and understanding that things cost money. There's a lot of pro-social gains for pocket money. But again, it doesn't have to be a lot of money. Yeah, And indeed. it can be linked to he must do something in exchange for it, like or he can do something for extra money. But when he's wondering about the cost of cars and all of that, you know, you could generalise your, in your response and say, oh, what's the cost? But gosh, I'm not sure. Probably a lot, though. Um, or I don't much like it. What do you think? Or I do really. I like the look of it and I really like the interior. What's your favourite part about it? So you can acknowledge the question about cost, but not respond directly to sure. What does that matter or mm. this? But just say probably a lot. But what is it you like about it? Yeah, he could be just expo- he could be just exploring kind of because it's an odd idea that we make something seem more, worth more than yes. others. And that's what I think it's about is. Yeah. But sure, it's all food. So why is it? priced this way and that's why yeah. I'm curious about does it influence what he chooses Yes, um, or is it simply going oh my goodness this that's is weird. this much and this yeah. is only this much yeah is it yeah. A, an interest in money right okay yeah lots, lots of texts coming in about dolls and circumcision and uh, an odd pairing really if you think about it <laughs> uh, I'll read as many as I can after the break in the meantime you're on a fortune thanks a million you are listening to the Moncrief Show and News Talk we're going to take a break after that the politics of food Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.